Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on The Game. Tyler and Wes along with you. Once again, thank you to Karima Davis from South Carolina Track for joining us on today's edition of the Garnet Trust Hour. Last hour, if you missed any of that conversation, I'll have it up for you shortly on the 1075 The Game podcasting page. But it is Tuesday as we continue to look back on the weekend that was in college football before turning our attention Two, uh, this upcoming weekend is Carolina will get set to take on Tennessee up in Neyland Stadium. Something we didn't really get to dive into yesterday, you know, talking about the win over Mississippi State was, you know, you never want to say games are must-wins because obviously you want to win every single game, but there's a huge difference with South Carolina South Carolina now sitting at 2-2 two and two, four games through the season as opposed to 1-3 and three, had they lost this past weekend to Mississippi State. And, you know, sitting at 2-2, two and two, you still feel like plenty of the goals that South Carolina is looking to accomplish this year are still uh, attainable going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, first of all, let's uh, let's develop a theme here, Tyler. There was a lot of talk in our, our Garnet Trust hour there with Karima about um, positivity mm-hmm. and uh, positive energy and stuff like that. The, the negative energy that you get back in college football when you start one in three – is uh, it, it can be tough to deal with. Sure. And, you know, fans a, a lot of times will put on social media stuff that, you know, that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe they complain about to their friends and nobody ever hears, and it's just kind of, you know, just kind of getting stuff off their chest. These days, that goes on Twitter. That goes on Instagram comments. And, you know, I, I think kind of avoiding that noise is, is something every program seeks to do, but it, it can be hard to actually do in reality. Mm-hmm. And so to get to two and two, we talked about it going into that game, man. It, it did feel sort of uh, sort of must win-ish, but it also set up well. This is a team, I firmly believe South Carolina is a better football team than Mississippi State. It was at night. It was in Columbia. It was a, it, it set up well for South Carolina to get their first SEC win. And now I think things kind of reset a little bit. It hasn't gone exactly the way you hoped if you're South Carolina, but you're 2-2 two and two with losses to two legitimate top 25 teams and a legitimate college football playoff team. So, you know, I, I think that's a lot easier to stomach than sitting there saying 1-3 and three with a win over Furman. Like, that's that's not a good look. That's nothing anybody at South Carolina wanted to deal with. And so so they avoid that. You reset, and then you go to Tennessee, which is, you know, yeah, they're a 10-point, whatever, 10-and-a-half, 11, you know, depending on where you look, favorite. But this is still a win- – I mean, this is a winnable game for South Carolina. Well, how big of a favorite so they were rolling into Columbia last season? Yeah, I mean, it was it was 20-plus. Right. 
going into that game. And I, I think this is a different game this year, certainly. And, you know, for South Carolina, you know, we'll start to kind of dive into this game here shortly, I'm sure. But I don't think – this is obviously a different South Carolina team, but I don't think this is the same Tennessee team either. They have not had the same efficiency on offense that they had last year coming into that game against South Carolina. So new game, new team, new year for both programs. But if you're South Carolina, you took care of business – and I, I do think we'll continue to look back on the fact that they were able to rep their running game. They are able to work on that. I still think it's very much a work in progress. Sure. I don't, I don't want to be this person that just is like, oh, it's fixed now. I don't think that's reality either. But I think the reality is there is a lot for South Carolina to build from within that O-line room, within that running back room, and we'll find out if they can continue to build on it moving forward. And talking specifically about that run game, we look at the depth chart that came out yesterday, and I can't remember if it was you or Chris that said it last week, but these depth charts are kind of like a week behind when you really think about it. So what you're looking at coming away from Mississippi State was really what the depth chart was going into it. But I imagine a lot of this will stay the same going into this weekend as well, and we do see the or on the depth chart as far as the running back position goes with Mario Anderson or to carry on Joyner being RB1. And it kind of seems like the prevailing thought going forward that's going to be Mario Anderson because, again, when you talk about running between tackles, those downhill runs, that's more of what Mario Anderson's style is. Now, to carry on Joyner, certainly still going to play a role because he definitely is a lot better catching the ball out of the backfield, which is still going to be a future part of this offense going forward. But as far as traditional running goes, that seems to be more Mario Anderson's game. Yeah, so th- that was me that said it. And I, I think the depth chart, is certainly a representation for the most part of what you saw last week. Now, there are even still some things on here that aren't quite, I would say, accurate based on what we saw. But for the most part, you know, we saw we saw DeCarion Joyner start the game last week, but we saw Mario Anderson get hot and have more carries in that game. You know, I, I could still see Joyner, quote, starting. And being out there for the first play. Yeah, yeah, but it, it was obvious that, Anderson was the hot hand this past Saturday, and I, I think you're going to give him every opportunity to show he can continue to be the hot hand this week. And so before, basically what happens is they slid the oar up. Mm-hmm. Before, it was to carry on Joyner, top line, and then it was Mario Anderson or Juju McDowell. Now it's Joyner or Anderson, and uh, and technically it says Anderson or Joyner if you want to really read into the order that they put him on there. And... The receiver position as well, again, kind of a reflection of what we saw the previous week. Omega Blake now listed as a starter. Juice Wells not listed on the depth chart. And, you know, Leggett listed as a starter, obviously, and then a Marion Brown who they are hopeful that they could get back this week. They they thought they'd have a chance to get him back this past week. Luke Doty still listed as a backup quarterback, even though he's actually started the last two weeks as a receiver in – a three-receiver set. The other, not really glaring change, but but a change nonetheless, Tyler, was uh, they did add Elijah Davis to kind of the three-way co-starter defensive end spot um, in place of Drew Tuazama. And that, but that, again, is a reflection, actually, of what we saw this past week with Elijah playing more and more against Georgia and against Mississippi State from kind of a defensive end edge spot as opposed to on the interior. I want to touch on one more thing with the running back spot. You mentioned that or shifting from originally that second spot of Mario Anderson or Juju McDowell to that first spot between him and 
carry on joiner what role does Juju McDowell have in this offense going forward? Because, uh, again, it hasn't really been featured these past couple games. Um, uh, again, Mario Anderson definitely proven to be more of that traditional running between the tackles kind of guy. Juju McDowell, good at catching it out of the backfield, but mm-hmm. you would say on Joyner is definitely better at that. Does Juju have a role here, an important role at least going forward? I think he has a role, Tyler. I don't know at this point if it's a consistent role. Like, I, I say that to mean... I think he'll pop up at some point. There'll be a matchup. There'll be something they want to exploit. They'll say, hey, let's give him something different to look, and, and Juju will have his shot. But, I mean, honestly, I, I'm i of the belief you can really only play two backs consistently at the same time. Uh, I've seen, I can't remember who described it this way. It was an opposing coach. They called it a two-plus-one, and it's kind of like that your first two backs are – going to play somewhat similar snaps. And then that third guy, maybe, depending on how the game plays out, maybe gets in there. Mm-hmm. Your fourth guy, even more difficult to get in unless you have a blowout situation. So right. I I think, obviously, the role is somewhat diminished. And I think we also have to remember, like, there, there's only so many snaps to go around. The Georgia game, they, they ran the ball with running backs um, a very limited number of times. So... Yeah. It, it was a limited – there were limited opportunities for every running back. But certainly, you look at what Anderson did. He got hot. He was moving the pile. So they said, look, we're, we're going to feed him, and we're going we're gonna to make it happen. So uh, I think game to game, that can shift. But, but yeah, Mario Anderson – like, th- these things don't take place in a vacuum. And I think we are all guilty at times when a game plays out. Well, hey, what about that guy? What about this guy? Why didn't this guy get the ball? Well, you only have so many plays. You only have so many opportunities. Would you have wanted Mario Anderson to get less carries on Saturday? Right. Um, you know, a, a lot of those yards, a lot of those yards were tough physical yards. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's not really Juju's game. If you're if you're in a game where maybe you feel like you're creating some big holes and you want the guy who can kind of get to the next level and, and then make somebody miss in the open field, maybe that fits with Juju McDowell's skill a little bit more. But for for this was an old school – I felt like this was an old school SEC game plan for South Carolina, and Mario Anderson is their most old school SEC style back. Yeah, and again, the offensive line's a work in progress, and they certainly working weren't opening up huge holes that you could drive a bus through. So you are going to need some of that physical run and keeping the legs churning – type of uh, runs, which Mario Anderson definitely provides and, and certainly contributed to a lot of those extra yards that he, he was able to get on Saturday, including the one that he ran 90 yards for the touchdown as well. Like He was not going unevaded on any of these runs. He was make, They were making contact not behind the line of scrimmage like we'd seen for the first couple of weeks, but pretty quickly after he got past it. You know, and I, I agreed with something Shane Beamer said too, Tyler. Like this, this was a great step forward for Mario Anderson, but also thought there were some yards there to be had too that they didn't quite get and so I I think he has to keep coming on I still have this gut feeling at some point this year we're gonna see DJ Braswell get a chance and and add something different to this position as well could that be this week could that be five weeks from now I I don't know I, I don't think we're gonna go through the whole season without 23 really getting a chance to show because I I think it's progress, but I, I think there's still a lot of yards there to be had. And I also felt like there were situations 
where as a running game, South Carolina was maybe one missed block from from adding in a couple of those little explosive plays. So you look at it, rewatching the game, you're like, man, these are five offensive linemen and a tight end blocking, and five out of the six blockers got a pretty good block, and then the six maybe just got in the way. And right. that, to me, is the difference in a three- or four-yard run and an 11- or 12-yard chunk play. And so I think I think that's the next step for South Carolina is can you start to, you know, can you start to chunk some runs, like 16-, 17-, 18-yard runs right. because you ever notice that offensive coordinators look like geniuses when the running game is working? Of course. And offensive coordinators get hammered when the running game is not. Um, and it's because if, I, if I'm if i an offensive coordinator, I can call passes on first down all day long if I know I have a six-yard run in my back pocket on yeah. second and ten. Right. If I don't have that, I'm constantly like, oh, if I throw here, I'm in second and ten. Then if I run, I'm in third and nine. And, you know, so – I think for them that that's the next step. Can you can you get some of these bigger plays? Which I I felt like they were just a tiny step away from that several times on Saturday. Right. One more thing I think that we glossed over as far as uh, the wide receiver depth chart again. Nose juice swells this weekend or nose juice swells on the latest depth chart because of his injury. Uh, Tyshawn Russell makes his first appearance as the backup to Omega Blake, which he actually had a reception on Saturday as well. I got a good feeling about this guy. I, I like him. He gets open. Got a pretty good build to him, quick, uh, reliable hands so far from what we've seen in limited reps. And, uh, again, I think this is a representation of what we saw. He Omega Blake started. We saw Russell when they rotated guys in. We saw Nick Harbour when they rotated guys in. And then we saw Eddie Lewis and Luke Doty kind of sharing snaps as well. So uh, I thought this is a, a true representation kind of of the depth chart. Uh, but I, I like what Tyshawn Russell has done. And that was a late in the class pickup for South mm-hmm. Carolina. Absolutely. We'll get uh, Chris Clark's thoughts on what he saw this past weekend and how he projects forward for the Gamecocks coming up as you're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour Presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Tyler and Wes in the Herndon Chevrolet Studios. We head on out to the left Chevrolet phone lines now. Welcome in Chris Clark for the first time this week. Chris, Saturday night, Gamecocks pick up the 37-30 win over Mississippi State, improving to 2-2 two and two on the season. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on what you saw in williams Bryce Stadium on Saturday? Good morning, guys. Good to hear from you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting game, and... I'm sure you guys covered some form of this because Wes and I, we were texting during and after the game, as we typically do, just about some of the storylines that we saw. And I mean, my my biggest, if you're going to give a couple big picture takeaways, I think you go back to Saturday, number one is 
got to be happy if you're South Carolina to pick up a win. I mean, they're every every SEC coach is saying some version of this lately. All the parity in the conference and in college football. You pick up a win. You pick up a conference win. You got to be happy with that, right? At, at the end of the day, especially given the circumstances for South Carolina. But the other one is, I think some things about that game that played out totally different than certainly I thought it would, right? I mean, um, we knew that last year and during his career, Will Rogers, Mississippi State's quarterback, had had huge career. You just go back to his passing numbers last year. We went over him just just shy of 4,000 yards, very low interception numbers, close to 40 touchdowns passing under the late great Mike Leach. This year it's been much more of a run-based attack, right? So given South Carolina's you know, inconsistencies there and, and given some of the question marks still, still this year, we thought this would be a game where, yeah, Rodgers can make some plays on you for sure, but this is going to be a game where you really got to stop Woody Marks. you got to load up to stop that. Mississippi State's probably going to be feeding him the ball. Well, as it turned out, it almost looked like not not in terms of how the offense looked, but certainly the production looked a lot more like the air raid from last year. You know, they kind of almost reverted back to that. I think part of that was going back to playing to Mississippi State's strength. I think Zach Arnett, their head coach, talked about that during the week, just trying to narrow some things down and go back to what they did best. But also South Carolina basically made a concerted effort of, hey, we're going to stop the run. We, we, if you're going to throw the football over our head, you know, go ahead, but obviously you don't want it to go how it did on Saturday in that regard. And you heard the frustration from Shane Beamer. The other thing, guys, is, I mean, South Carolina's rushing attack, I think, got on track with Mario Anderson. Everybody, I think, wanted to see him, was intrigued to see more of him after, you know, his, his performance against Georgia. Only, you know, more than a handful of carries, but showed some intriguing things. And I think not only did Mario Anderson look good, but this offensive line for South Carolina, there were several plays where they actually, I think, had it what they have at most points this season. Not that it was perfect by any means, but they were able to avoid more negative plays than we've seen lately. And conversely, even though they gave up a huge night, an unacceptable night, frankly, through the air, they were able to create some negative plays defensively, too, against Mississippi State. And those things really the difference. I think it just kind of looked a lot different than we anticipated uh, going into that game. Yeah, Chris, I, I thought, honestly, that's the best South Carolina has stopped the run in, in three seasons, in, in my opinion. Yep. And, you know, against a Mississippi State rushing attack that has been pretty good so far this year. Like, it's not like you were going up against a team that you kind of knew struggled to run the football and, and it kind of is just a deficiency on their end. Like, I, I thought that was very impressive, but then just was somewhat negated or shaded a little bit by the fact that they did give up so much in the air. Now, I, I credit Mississippi State. It, it felt like they sort of did probably what they should have done to start the year. It reminded me a little bit of Dow Loggins and Spencer Rattler in that their coaches said they, they kind of went to Will Rogers and said, look, what what do you like best? What What are you most comfortable with? It felt like not just Rodgers, but the receivers as well were much more on the same page j just with each other and, and knowing where they were going to be. Yeah. But uh, I, I want to go back to South Carolina's running game. And uh, to me, it is still a work in progress, Chris. Like, I, I think we saw some, some obvious steps forward in not allowing those negative plays. 
you still want to see some some maybe explosives come out of the running game when it's not just your quarterback. But similarly, I guess, what, what did you think of South Carolina's decision to basically just be hard-headed in the running game? It, it felt to me like this was a game plan where it was much more big-picture based. Like, I, I think they could have probably scored even more points putting the game on Spencer Rattler, but they seemed determined to work on the running game and try to bring it along for probably the big-picture growth of this offense. Yeah, and that was interesting, Wes. I, I remember one of your thoughts to me during the game was like, man, it really looks like they're working on the run game, which, like, if you say it that way, it sounds like kind of a scary proposition in the middle of a close game. It's like, you know, we're hey, we're going we're gonna to kind of be testing the waters on our run game. But you're right, it, this is an area that has to get better, right? We talked about it going into the game. Could South Carolina have won this game? And could they win more games this year, leaning – you know, almost too much on the pass, maybe so. But you get the sense that Dowell Loggins, Shane Beamer, heck, probably even Spencer Rattler, man, who would love to air out the ball, you know, 40 times a game if you let him. You know, you do have to be able to run the football with some semblance of, you know, presenting a challenge to the defense with some semblance of consistency. And they just really haven't done that. And so I was surprised watching the game live, even watching it back, you know, man, it's like they really went to the run a good bit. Now, some of those plays, in fairness, I know Shane Beamer noted on his Sunday teleconference that, that Spencer Rattler, he credited him with actually doing a good job of getting them out of some looks where they had something called, and then he checked to a run, got them into some favorable looks. The other side note, Wes, Shane Beamer even noted that Mario Anderson had probably left some yards on the table, which he – uh he obviously created a lot of yards on his own with some of the runs he had. You just think about that toss sweep for the touchdown. And, you know, just all effort by he and, and the rest of his teammates to get in, but not completely satisfied with it. So you can kind of see, even though it was better in, in the regards to the run game, how there's still some room for growth there. But, yeah, you're right. I, I don't know. You know, I think there were probably a couple things that played to, to go to the run. One was, like you said, man, big picture you know that you've got to come in and you need to be able to run the ball in this game to win it at least somewhat. You want to be able to run the ball, continue to get better and come along in that regard for the future, you know, on, on the immediate schedule as well. Also, I mean, after, look, you go up 14 nothing, you feel great. Mississippi State answers right back with some explosives. Um, you probably feel like, hey, we, we want to be staying on the field somewhat here. And, South Carolina was able to eat the clock some. I think the time of possession was pretty even in this game overall. But I think there was probably a thought of, hey, if you throw a couple incomplete passes here, we miss on a couple throws, punting the ball right back to Mississippi State, Will Rogers, how dangerous he looked. He was – we talked about this going into the game. He he had a big-time off day against LSU. He was about as on as you can get in that game, unfortunately, for South Carolina. He – you know, Mississippi State had a couple throws, really, that they could have hauled in on, on downfield balls that were quite close that they didn't quite bring in either. So, jumping all around there, I know, but I, I think point is, guys, the run had to be a priority for South Carolina in this game more than we've seen, and a positive that they were able to uh, to make it so. Absolutely. Uh, Wes, we, are you back in studio with us coming up tomorrow? You mean Chris? I mean Chris. Sorry, Chris. Yes, I am back. I was confused. I'm like, is, is Wes, are we just trading out now? Uh, yeah, I, I will be back, guys. 
Fantastic. Well, we'll get more into the specifics of this upcoming week uh, matchup this weekend with Tennessee coming up this weekend. But thanks for taking a few minutes of your time, Chris, and uh, we'll uh, get you back in here tomorrow. Appreciate you guys having me. I'm just uh, a few minutes out, actually, from Knoxville on the way back on I-40, so I'll do a little advanced scouting and, and be able to report back later throughout this week. Sounds fantastic. We'll look forward to that coming up tomorrow. Uh, Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, rolls on here on the game. What you're talking about. Sponsored by Love Chevrolet. On your home of the Gamecocks. In Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach. And 100.5 The Game in Florence. Yeah, it's a new week every week. It's a new year or two. Um, uh, you know, last year, uh, they were more physical than us. Um, they competed harder than we did uh, on that night. Um you know, we didn't handle the, the environment the right way. Uh, those were lessons that, you know, had to continue to move forward with us as a, as a program. But, uh, you know, last year has nothing to do with this week. Last week has nothing to do with this week. You know, the previous play has nothing to do with the next one, man. we got to focus on our preparation and, and, uh, and be ready to have a great competitive spirit for, for four quarters. Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler Head and West Mitchell, along with you on this Tuesday morning. That was the voice of Josh Heupel, Tennessee head coach, talking to the media during his press conference yesterday. We'll have Coach Beamer's press conference coming up today at 1.30 here on the game, sponsored as always by Pete Alewine Pools and Spas. But, but Coach Heupel there talking about, you know, last year's game not mattering to them looking ahead to this weekend. I find that a little hard to believe especially the stakes that were on the line for them coming to Williams-Brice Stadium last year, where, of course, they seemed like a lock for the college football playoff. All they had to do was beat Carolina and beat Vanderbilt the next week, and they probably would have been in. That, of course, all came crashing down when South Carolina pulled the upset. I imagine that's going to be a pretty big motivating factor going into this weekend. That uh, That's the type of thing you say, you talk about maybe in the locker room, you sure. don't talk about. Yeah, in he, the press conference. You were he, never going to go there, right? He went very coach-speak there, which is what you would expect him to do. But, yes, behind closed doors, assuming they don't have a camera in there like Dan Landing before the Colorado game, that's going to get brought up a lot. Which, that whole thing, completely overblown, by the way, in my opinion. But, so, I, I'm glad you took us here, Tyler, because we were <laughs> we were having the same exact thought. I was watching, you know, listening to Hypel from yesterday, earlier yep. today, and I, I thought there was – a little bit to maybe take away from from what he had to say, and you know, in the locker room, dude, they they remember last year. Now, oh, yeah. does that d- does that help you execute be- better? Maybe, maybe not. But does it make sure that a two and two South Carolina team rolls in and has your complete attention on every detail? I, I think it does, and you know, in, in some ways, you can sit there and say there's no way Tennessee isn't thinking about or aware of what happened last year. On the other side, I think one of the beauties of college football is that you truly do basically play 12 one-game seasons. And, you know, every single week is a different battle, a different hill you have to climb. And I don't I don't even think that's coach speak. I, I think that's the reality of it because you face so many different um, types of opponents and types of schemes and stuff like that. But a, a couple of different takeaways I had for one – Quite a bit of talk and respect from the Tennessee side about Spencer Rattler. Mm-hmm. There were there were two questions about Rattler to Heupel, and both of them got like 
pretty long, detailed responses about just how good Rattler is. And it wasn't your, you know, he's a good quarterback. We got to do, um, you know, we got we to gotta play well against him. Like, there was some detail to it. Yeah, I can actually let you listen to exactly what he did have to say about Spencer Rattler Let's yesterday. He's played a bunch of football. Uh, he understands coverages, sees rotations. Uh, you know, he takes himself to the right spot based on the coverage and the beaters that they have up on their schemes. Uh, he's got the ability to extend and make plays with his feet. He's accurate with the football. You got to do a great job. Um, you got to control the line of scrimmage. You got to apply pressure to him. You can't let him out of the pocket at the same time. Uh, when they when he does scramble, you got to match the the personnel out in space. Uh, he created a bunch of big plays against us last year outside of the pocket. Um, he's a really good football player. That that poses a problem. Uh, we got to do a really good job up front and on the uh, second and third levels in our in our coverage. And the game against Tennessee last year was really Spencer Rattler's coming out party as a Gamecock because he, of course, rolled that into another great performance against Clemson the next week, played well in the bowl game against Notre Dame, and is obviously off to a red-hot start this year in 2023. But, yeah, against Tennessee was finally the time we saw him emerge to be the quarterback. We thought he could have been the entire season, just wasn't through those first 10 games, and has obviously played well since then. I have a feeling that Spencer Rattler also is going to relish the potential opportunity knowing how focused they are on him to go in there and just do it again anyway. Not that you ever expect six touchdowns, you know, in, in any game. That's a that's kind of a game of your life type situation. But he's obviously put up big numbers all this year. And I, I think he absolutely can go in there and give Tennessee fits again. You heard Heupel talk quite a bit about the lines of scrimmage and how important it's going to be, as we know, as we talk about every week, for opponents to pressure Rattler, or from South Carolina's perspective, for them to keep Rattler from being pressured. And you notice how many times Hypel kind of mentioned keeping him in the pocket. And I think he started to develop a reputation for being the guy who can obviously pick his moments to get out and run, but really can hurt you by getting out and throwing the football down the field or, um, you know, completing those kind of intermediate throws. And he throws so well on the run. Like he's mm. got such a. He's got such a strong natural arm that he doesn't really have to get set and like put his entire body into a throw. He can kind of, he kind of flicks his wrist. So I think that's important. The other takeaway from the Hypel press conference was I had completely missed, I didn't really watch the UTSA game for Tennessee, that Milton had been banged up. Yeah, I heard his knee in that game. I think he had a brace on in the second half. Yeah, yeah so he was banged up. There is also a picture floating around. This is what Hypel was referring to. There's a picture floating around, according to our friends at VolQuest, on Sunday that sort of appeared, you know, allegedly showed Milton going to a medical facility. Right. And so Hypel kind of downplayed that. He said it's, it's routine that if a guy gets banged up or hurt, um, he didn't say specifically, but I think he was trying to say, look, we will outsource this stuff sometimes to make sure there's nothing wrong. And um, so he, he said that basically they anticipate him being ready to go play. But m maybe something to keep an eye on. Not that Milton has been as mobile as, you know, Hendon Hooker was for them last year. I, I think that's been a missing piece to an mm -hmm. extent for this offense is not having that to fall back on. He does not throw particularly well on the run right. either. So I, I think I think that's a factor going into this game. Yeah, and, and reading some stuff from VolQuest and kind of listening to what the Tennessee fan base has said 
through these first couple games, there was obviously a ton of hype on Joe Milton coming into the season, built mainly around the fact that he can throw the ball a million yards <laughs> and stuff like that. But he's clearly proven to not be quite as good as Hendon Hooker. When you look at his numbers, they're pretty solid across the board. But when you look at the actual breakdown of his throws, the way he plays that quarterback position in Heupel's offense, it's definitely a drop-off from what Hendon Hooker brought to the table. And you mentioned not being as good on the run. He's yet to throw a touchdown pass on the run, which is something that Hendon Hooker was really good at when the play broke down, being able to scramble out, buy some time, and let those freakish wide receivers get open in space and, and get touchdowns that way. And that's just something that Joe Milton doesn't seem to be good at. And again, we talk about being banged up with the knee. That's something that's also going to be limited once again this weekend. That, that's something that just doesn't compute in my head that he doesn't have a scramble throw touchdown yet. Like mm-hmm. as as explosive as this Tennessee offense is and can be, you would think that would have happened by now. I, I guess it is early in the year, but you know, for me as well, I think they just don't quite have the receivers that they did last year in terms of creating separation, in terms of getting open. Like the offense, now granted, I've not done a deep dive into this team yet. I I, I casually watched the Tennessee Florida game, mm-hmm. you know, was not closely like watching scheme and stuff like that. But it, it did obviously feel a little bit different. They went heavy run based in the second half of that game, even though they were down. It felt like there was a little bit of lack of trust, at least as far as that matchup, their passing game against Florida's defense. They they kept running the football, kept running the football. There were some plays to be had there, but you know, it was not the Tennessee if Tennessee would have been down in the second half last year, I'm you know, I'm like, well, they can score, they can make up two touchdowns in two minutes. Well, and going back to the game against Carolina, you never truly felt that South Carolina was in control until really deep into that fourth quarter because you knew Tennessee's ability to put together quick drives going down the field and you have 20 seconds or something like that and jumping right back in the game. Well, and South Carolina coached the game that way as well, that they did. They coached the game even when they were up two scores like it was tied. And, you know, I, I thought they were super aggressive last year. I wonder, you know, how, how do they approach this year? Is it same? Like they – do you lose a little bit of edge from not being the the complete underdog that no one gives you a chance whatsoever because they – I feel like when you coach a game like that, there's going to be a huge amount of volatility in what the outcome could be. If you say, look, we're going to go for it every potential fourth down, that means you, you, have, you gain a lot of potential for points, but you also gain – more potential to just get blown out and for South Carolina all those big decisions being super aggressive throwing the ball down the field they hit on executing after almost all those decisions how do you approach this one where I do think it's a little bit more evenly matched than probably it was going into last year right we'll continue to break this game down more as the week goes along we closer to Saturday again 7 30 on Saturday night between the Gamecocks and the Volunteers which you can listen to right here on the game But some things are starting to stir up off the field as well. And we'll talk about that coming up. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach. And 100.5 The Game in Florence. 
Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler and Wes along with you for a few more minutes before turning things over to Terry for today's edition of the Halftime Show. Again, Coach Beamer's press conference coming up at 1.30 brought to you as always by Pete Alewine Pools and Spas. Continuing to talk about what's going on this weekend between South Carolina and Tennessee, which, by the way, if South Carolina can get in the end zone on special teams, you can win $500 in the Lawyer Lisa Special Teams Touchdown Contest as South Carolina has yet to get a special teams touchdown this season. So that means $500 up for grabs this weekend against Tennessee. Head on over to 1075game.com to register for your chance to win. Register each and every week because it does change each and every week. And if there is a special teams touchdown, be listening to the early game come Monday morning as Bill and Preston will announce a winner live on the air. But looking at this game this weekend, and again, Josh Heupel, you know, wasn't going to dive into what happened last year, say that there was any kind of hangover from that going into this year's game. We obviously know that's something that's going to be a motivating factor for the team behind closed doors. But the uh, the Tennessee fan base uh, definitely taking its jabs at South Carolina. A lot of that in reference to what happened with Hendon Hooker last year in williams Bryce Stadium where he does suffer the uh, ACL injury there towards the end of the game and uh, is not able to finish the game. Of course, Joe Milton comes in, finishes that game, and plays the last two games of the season. And, uh, again, a lot kind of being stirred up in reference to what happened there. Yeah, and um, I don't know, man. Obviously, like I was at the game, a lot of people were at the game. Everybody that I was around felt awful for Hendon Hooker. Uh, I think there's been... There's been some talk on social media that's just been kind of ugly, sure. I feel like, on both sides, uh, you know, about reactions to the injury and people bringing up old South Carolina injuries as well. And, you know, but I, I think 99% of fans kind of stay out of that. And, um, you know, rightfully so. Like, I, I think there was a ton of respect going into that game for Hendon Hooker. And, you know, I think everybody at the stadium kind of felt awful when he got hurt. So, um, you know, on the field, you you see a lot of talk, obviously, from from fans about just the result of the game and the fact that this is a Tennessee team that blew out South Carolina two seasons ago in Knoxville and comes into this game, like you said earlier, prior to the break, they're they're cruising almost to the college football playoff. If you asked anybody outside of Columbia going into that game, sure, and you know, South Carolina does what we love about college football and steps up and uh, and knocks them off. And, and really, it was not a fluke. Like, they just completely outplayed Tennessee in that game. Spencer Rattler goes off. Receivers are making plays downfield. South Carolina has a great game plan going in. And the rest uh, is history. So, um, you know, they're going to want to avenge that loss. Ultimately, it's going to be about who executes on the field. And, uh, you know, I, I think the more you kind of look at these two teams, the more I do feel like this could be a, a tight game in Knoxville. Yeah, and obviously when you go on the road to Neyland anytime, it's obviously a tough atmosphere. It's got 100,000 people. It's going to be a night game. But you add that extra element of what happened last year and, you know, uh, adding the fan base into that. They're going to be wearing the dark mode uniforms this weekend. So it's they're all black with the – What, what the, does that even, What does that mean? So, yeah, so that's just their uh, – the black helmets, black jerseys, black – pants with the orange numbers which and I talked about this with Colin earlier I don't like when teams that don't have black in their color palette just roll out black for the sake of wearing black it doesn't it, there were worse offenders like a decade ago when like Stanford had a blackout and like black's nowhere near any of their colors um but you know it's kind of one of those things like you're trying to add a little bit more juice to it which 
I guess, is is the reasoning behind it this weekend. Add an edge to it. The fa- sure. Why, why did they announce this on Monday? That feels I don't know. weird. It, it does. Um, believe, did, weren't they playing South Carolina when they brought out those Halloween jerseys however many years ago? The, yeah. with the, with the black with the original blacks they wore, which looked awful. Uh, oh, what well, would have to been an odd oh nine? Yeah, I think it was Kiffin's year. Uh, was it? Was that the year Kiffin was that was he at Tennessee I, in oh nine? Yeah, he had Tennessee in oh nine. Okay, yeah, it was. Think, so Kiffin, I think that's correct. Kiffin was there for one season, and he actually beat Steve Spurrier in the rain in the black jerseys. They, uh, I think, South Carolina turned the ball over several times mm-hmm. uh, turned it over early it was never they were never really in that game it felt like right and i think they even went as far as to warm up in other jerseys and then run out of the tunnel ran out black. in the black jerseys made a huge deal about it um but yeah i don't know at least with south carolina garnet and black are right it, it's their actually, colors it's in the color palette like georgia does its blackout blacks in their color like other teams do that it makes sense but like you're orange and white. Black black has nothing to do with that. I will say this. I I like when South Carolina plays Tennessee on Halloween. Yes. Like I have I, a lot of people saying that that should always be on Halloween. It should. It Traditionally, a lot of years was Halloween weekend. Mm-hmm. And it just, uh, it was a great, um, what's the word? It's a great aesthetic, yeah. I feel like, to see the two teams face off on Halloween. But as we have learned with many things in college football in the last couple of years, none of that matters compared to the almighty dollar. Well, and that's also important this weekend. Last time you're going to see Tennessee for at least a couple of years because they are not on the schedule next year. Yeah, very weird. will be strange not seeing them. This is a game, I mean, you can go back when I was a kid and, and really starting to just get into college football. Uh, you always heard about the orange crush mm-hmm. of the schedule, and it's Tennessee, Florida, and Clemson. And this was a program, South Carolina, for the longest time, kind of struggled to get over the hump against. And then, you know, you look ever since ever since Spurrier took over, from like that point forward, it has been relatively even. There's a weird stretch here where South Carolina, there's a trend. South Carolina wins three. Tennessee wins three. South Carolina wins three. That's been going on for a while now. South right. Carolina obviously won last year. We'll see what happens next. See if they can get win number two on hopefully another at least three-game win streak. We'll continue to break that game down more as the week goes along. That'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Again, halftime show with Terry coming up next. And, of course, Coach Beamer speaking at 1.30. And we'll have it for you here on 107.5 The Game in Columbia, sponsored by Pete Aylwine Pools and Spas. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.